Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Okay, so Isaiah 66, and you know, when, when we first started to talk about this weekend, this conference that we were going to have, um, we felt like we wanted Sunday morning to be sort of a cherry on top, sort of like a grand finale, um, but it ended up being last night was a little bit more of a grand finale if you were here, and so... Um, yeah, so it was kind of kind of weird. Some of you guys know a lot more about me and Ashley, our marriage, than you ever wanted to know. Um, and so I did give everybody the next morning off if you if you felt like it was too awkward to show back up to show your face here after last night um, and the our house live thing that we did uncensored. Uh, but as as Pastor Kurt and I got together and we started to talk about some of what would be shared in the main sessions. Um, the Lord was speaking to both of us on, on a couple different things. And um, the truth is, is that in that conversation, Pastor Kurt reminded me that, uh, you know, the basics. God teaches us that when he brings two people together, um, that that covenant we're in is like inextricably woven, that it's actually impossible. It says nobody can actually pull that apart. And, um, and so what was interesting is I was kind of going back and forth on whether or not to approach some of the word that the Lord was speaking to me uh, for this morning and over the course of the weekend. Do we approach this as like, okay, let's take it back to the beginning. Let's take it back to just you. Let's take it back to a time before, you know, maybe you were in covenant with somebody, you were in relationship with somebody. For some of the folks that you're engaged or you're just dating now, and so like going back might not seem that far. Uh, for some of you that have been married for decades, it seems really far to go back to that place. But um, in truth, what we talked about and what Pastor Kurt reminded me of is that, you know, we really can't go to that place. There, there, there's, there's not that place left to go to. Because even that order to, okay, what God brings together, let nobody tear asunder, if you have a King James. Uh, let nobody take apart, nobody dismantle. What's interesting is that even sometimes in our best efforts to uh, pursue self-improvement, we, we seek to extrapolate ourselves from the marriage to work on me. And by the way, I, I don't even think that that's ill-intentioned. I think that a lot of times we want to pull ourselves out of whatever situation we're in because we think, well, I've got to like get alone with God or I've got to, I've got to allow the Lord to speak to me. I've got to get away from the chaos, from the noise, from the whatever. And all of those things are true. Silence and solitude is a spiritual discipline that we should probably all be practicing more often than we are. Everybody except for possibly Dr. Littlefield. I think he practices more silence and solitude than anybody I know. But you kind of have to in his line of work. So I, I totally agree with the spiritual disciplines of getting away and fasting and praying and, and retreating to a place where you can hear the Lord without the noise. But saints, even self-improvement that does not consider or cooperate with that covenant of marriage is bound to consequence. Yeah. I'm going to say it one more time. Even self-improvement. Even when we're trying to pursue a better version of ourselves, maybe you're even thinking for your marriage or for your relationship or for your kids or for whatever else that you're a part of that God's brought you into, even self-improvement that does not consider or cooperate with that covenant is bound to consequence. This whole weekend, 
whether you're married or not, this morning, if you're just, you didn't even know there was a marriage and you just showed up for Sunday morning service, it's not about you. Not because there was a marriage conference, but because life's not about you. I think so oftentimes we're in our own head. We're in our own head for better or for worse. We're in our own head uh, thinking that we've got it all together and we don't really need whatever snake oil this pastor up here is peddling. Or we're in our own head and we're consumed with all of the, the needs that we do have. And we can't see beyond it. We can't see outside of our skull to know that actually God's called us to a process that is, that is irrevocably woven into the lives of each other. And so this Isaiah 66 passage, we're not just going to talk about in, um, in reference to marriage. So if you're like, oh, great, you know, I'm like still single, so should I not even be here this morning? No, this isn't uh, just about marriage. This is, this is about relationships in general. Isaiah 66, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all of these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. Again, if you were here last night and you heard Ashley and I up here joking about sarcasm, because I, I know there are some folks that struggle with our sarcasm, my sarcasm specifically, and what you don't know is that Ashley, especially if you don't listen to the podcast, you don't know that Ashley's actually way more sarcastic than I am. And so, and so she's been a real gift to me because she calls me up higher in that anointing. <laughs> and, um, and so again, raising the expectations, that's one of our love languages to each other. And so we understand it, and I hope that you guys are starting to get it too. That's part of why the Lord brought me to New England, because in the South, you know, people get offended at things like that, and up here, people are like, there's just another Yankee, you know? And so the point is, is I sense a hint of sarcasm from the Lord as he's saying, really? You think you're going to build a house for me? Really? You think you got something up your sleeve that you can come up with and wow me? I made everything. I own everything. The only reason why you were able to import the cedars of Lebanon to build Solomon's temple is because I planted the seed there for them to grow. The only reason why you can harvest gold out of the mines of Ethiopia and have it brought here on ships and melted down to overlay all the furniture in the holy place is because I saw to it that all the elements and the minerals came together under pressure. And, and when I sent the flood a few thousand years ago, this was all, I made that. That's my gold. There's nothing you can come up with under the sun that I have not already divinely orchestrated and ordained into being. So where again is this place you're going to build for me? My hand made it all. But to this one, I will look. In other words, forget the house. There is something that will catch my attention. Forget the house. You remember when Solomon dedicated the temple to begin with? Do you remember what the father said? I never asked for a temple. I never asked for a city. I only wanted a man. I only wanted a heart. But to this one, I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. 
Just leave that verse up. I love this, but I struggle with it. You know, we're in the throes of a building project ourselves, and, and the Lord's been uh, revealing a lot to us in this process, but only because we're, like, beating heaven for answers, you know, and for provision and for solutions and for resolutions and, and for things to happen. And by the way, things are happening. Things are happening, and it's, it's pretty incredible. But what's interesting is that the Lord lets us go after him, not so he can give us the answers that we were hoping to find, but so he can give us the answers he'd been hoping to share with us. And this is one of those things. I believe as David, that man after God's heart, we've preached about him so much over the, over the years, really, over the over plus decade plus. Um, God allows him to build this thing. He allows him to, to draw up blueprints and pass them down to Solomon and stockpile all the materials needed. And he allows Solomon to build this thing. But the whole while, he's reminding him, this isn't about the building. This isn't about a building. Randy, you remember that? Remember when we stood out on the sidewalk out in front of the Morning Star? It was a lot easier to say it then than it is now. <laughs> That's why the Lord gives it to you then, so he can ground it into you, grind it into you. It's not, it's not about a building. Sometimes you need Morgan Freeman to show up in a white suit to say it. So you, you know, you can hear it the way, you know, God's voice sounds. Um, it's not about a building. And not only, that's not a new thing. That was a thing going all the way back to Isaiah's prophecies over the people of God. It's not about a building. What do you think you could possibly come up with? What do you think you could possibly house? Now, a building, saints, is not just a physical structure. It's any construct of man. It's anything that, that we put together. That might be some plan in your life. That's your building. A building, by the way, that God allowed you to build, that maybe God even inspired you to build, but not a building necessarily that he's looking for. What he's looking for, he says it right here, and could not be more clear or plain to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. It's interesting. He says, but to this one I will look. To this one I will look. In other words, he's not even looking. He, the, 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 the palatial stature of mankind has not even gotten his attention. He turns away from it as he's always turned away from sin, as he had to turn away from Jesus who took all the sin to the cross. The father turns away, but who catches his eye? One who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at his word. Now, I want to walk through those three things just for the next few minutes before we sneak out of here. But I want to just say this, too, as a disclaimer. I, I know that I, and I, people have shared with me over the years, like, hey, uh, you need more application in your messages. Um, and I've kind of always shunned away from that, kind of always said, no, like, I need the Holy Spirit to create the application. If you're seeing a pattern, it's that I always blame it on the Holy Spirit when it's something I don't want to do. So I'm like, no, the Holy Spirit has to do that, you know? So that's just my default. But what I'll say is this, I have found in our church 
something that is the sum of all of our messages and all of our teachings and all of our emphasis over the years, I have found us in this place of really going after heart posture. And it's one of my favorite things about our church is that we know God is looking at our heart. And so we're after that heart posture, but as humanity is always given to extremes, what I've seen maybe over the last six months or a year is I've seen the, the, the idea of the concept of heart posture evolve out of its intent and into a cliche, into sort of a, a, a language that we speak um, to make sure that, that we don't have to be held accountable for our actual actions because it's really just about our heart posture. And again, some of y'all are like, another one of these messages, Zach? Like, really? Can we, like, put a few weeks in between it? I brought some visitors. Bring them to your greenhouse. Okay? The greenhouses are so nice. I, I, I love this, though, because we, even as we read through these things, we're thinking this is a God and me thing. He's looking to the one whose heart is humble, whose spirit is contrite, and who's trembling at his word. And that's a me and God thing. We can easily read this and reduce it down to this common low denominator of heart posture. And by the way, it has to start there. It has to start there. I think it was Dave Andre, you preached a message 100 years ago here, and it was, um, I think you were in your 60s at the time. (laughs) My guy, he's only like 45 now, so it's just a joke. But you preached this message and you talked about how like traditionally the church has always tried to bring salvation into the heart from the outside in. And we start on the outside and we start with like, you know, going back decades. It's like, how okay, if you start wearing the right clothes, if you get the right haircut, and then it's like the next thing, if you can start talking right, if you can get the bad words out of your language and the, the dirty jokes out and the, and the, the, the trailer uh, trucker sailor talk off, you know, and you start to push in deeper and deeper, like somehow salvation is going to start on the outside and penetrate in as we get things right. And you said that was never God's heart. You remember that message? Yeah. I think it was on the corner of Warren and Broadway. But you, but, but you said that was never the intent of the Lord. The intent of the Lord is that it comes in like a seed and that it starts from the inside. And before we ever see the fruit of it, growth and life and transformation is happening. And when we deny God that right, his concept of how salvation and sanctification and transformation are intended to work, we end up doing what the Pharisees did. And we end up with churches full of baptized pagans who who have set up a sinner's prayer because somebody told them they had to do it, but nothing has ever really changed in their lives. And so, yes, this has to start with a heart posture. And when that prayer was prayed, more importantly than that you were on your knees, it's important that your heart was on its knees, that your heart was bowed low before the Lord and that it stayed there. And so this humility and this contriteness of spirit and this trembling at his word, this reverence, this awe, this fear, holy fear of a holy God, those things have to begin in this secret place, but they cannot stay there. By right of their their, their authenticity, they cannot stay there. And so I think it's too easy, maybe in our circle, 
I know other, other churches are, you know, they're on the other end of this. And it's like, you know, it's like, hey, how many social justice issues can we tackle? And how many, how many uh, ways can we uh, engage in the community or do these things and become the hands and feet of Jesus? How many migrants can we feed? Or how many, you know, uh, hungry people or, or whatever can we, can we deal with in downtown? There's, there's, there's that heart that's manifested, but the life itself from which it's manifested, from which it's expressed, was never really turned over to the Lord. So yes, there are ditches on both sides of this road. And so this morning, as we walk through these three things, what I want to do is I really want to talk about how this is as much about your relationships with everybody else as it is with God. Don't, don't make it so easy that it's just you and God and God's got all the grace. So when I stumble, you know, God's got me. God's got me. That's like everybody's favorite like line. God's got, God does have you, but God has assignments for you. God has divine and holy interactions for you. God has you as an instrument to serve a purpose, to see a kingdom come. And it comes through our relationships. Humble. You know, it's interesting, that word humble, it comes from a root, and it means to be afflicted. We don't like to associate humility with affliction. We like a humility that we choose. We like a humility that we can measure out and we can pump the brakes when it gets uncomfortable. But even that idea of afflicted, it comes from this like primitive concept of tilling the ground for cultivation. Did you know that? Probably some of you did. You do now. Tilling the ground for cultivation. Isn't it interesting that, that in order to prepare soil to receive seed, it has to be driven across with blades, clawing into it, breaking it open, afflicted. And in order to sit there and take it, humility is required. So when God says the very first thing that I'm looking for, the very first thing that I'm looking for, the very first thing that catches my attention is a heart that says, hit me, I'm open. Plow me, rake me, afflict me, destroy me. Now, you can say, oh, I say that to God every day. I say that in my, that's in my prayer, that's in my quiet time with the Lord. It's just me and the Lord. And I'm like, God, I want to get plowed. <laughs> hmm. What we should probably do is start saying it to our spouses. <laughs> Afflict me. Inconvenience me. Hum. Humble me. Guys, all the, all the weird stuff was last night, all right? This is all, this is all theology stuff. This is all super spiritual theology stuff. The weird stuff was last night. I don't know if we could possibly scrub it enough to actually release it on the podcast, but we talked about that. We were going to do that, and then it got so weird that we were like, I don't even know if this, this is a liability, and our legal team would never let us publish this, but... 
I, I, I think of these relationships in our lives, and yes, marriage is the first one. Because our marriage is not just from God, it's of God. It's of God. It's like a picture of God. When the two become one and you have the nurturer, comforter joined in with the authority and the father, suddenly you get a better, more well-rounded picture of who God really is in your marriage. So don't you tell me for one second that what's, what's happening, the tension or the, the contrariness present in your marriage isn't affecting your ability to do ministry or your ability to reflect or express the principles of heaven. It absolutely is, more so than anything else. Our relationships are an expression of that heart posture to the Father. And, and if we're so foolish as to think that we can, and by the way, we are. Oh, we are. Listen, over the years, I can't tell you how many people come in and it's like, yeah, like your marriage is a complete disaster. You're, you're like, you don't, like your roommates in a house, you hate each other, you talk trash about each other. It's like, it's like no one in the world would think you were married except whoever was present at your wedding. And you think that you're going to come in and you're equipped to like do the work of the Lord. And guys, I understand that there are some circumstances that are beyond our control. Sometimes there's been tragedy and devastation and different things in marriages that cause us to, you know, to, to be reeling at times. But, but far be it from us that we ever resolve ourselves to the idea that we can completely neglect this covenant and somehow adequately serve that one. It's every relationship in our lives. If you're saying, Zach, I'm not even married, or Zach, you know, I was married and it fell apart and now I'm here and I'm single. Listen, there's no shame. There's no condemnation. So don't let the enemy stir something up in you that's like, he doesn't like people who've been divorced. My, I come from a broken home, all right? And my mom did the best with what she had, okay? And she raised us incredibly well for the situation that she was dealt. But what I will say to you this morning is that no matter where you're from, this can start for you today. No matter what is behind you, no matter what happened yesterday, no matter how even the enemy has come to uh, afflict you because of this conference you just attended. That affliction is what gets the attention of God when we allow ourselves to be plowed, when we allow ourselves to be, to be broken for the sake of the seed of his word and his presence. He's a wise, he's a shrewd farmer, and he's not gonna waste his seed. He's not gonna waste the truth and the life that he wants to impart and invest. And so he is looking for ground that will be broken. He's looking for lives that will be humbled. He is looking for people who already in their, in their walk, in their relationships, are, are allowing themselves to receive that, to be broken. He's a sower of the seed of his presence. Ron shared a dream a while back. Did you share the dream about the that you had over there with the, with the seed spreader? Did you talk about that here? Okay. Oh. I feel like, just share, just share that dream really quick. Okay, Zach, I'll share it. 
I was, uh, I was actually, uh, was I in Maine? I think I was in Maine, at the, and um, I had this, had this dream. I don't know, if I've shared it, then you stop me, okay? Because when you're old, you say it over and over, right? That's what I, I think I've told my kids. If you hear me say the same thing over and over, let me know, right? Because I'll have a concern that, but as, as I was up, at, I was in Maine one day, and, and um, sleeping, of course, and, uh, and I had this dream, and in this dream, I was standing right behind the sound booth. I'm like, why am I dreaming about church? I'm in Maine. And I'm behind the, I'm behind the sound booth, and it's, it's as if the Lord was standing right next to me, and he says in my ear, he said, it's going to be different now. Church isn't going to be the way you remember. I'm going to bring change. And... I'm going, I'm standing there, and there's a box to my right-hand side, and I'm like, what's different? And to the box to my right-hand side, it said on the box, it's just a big box, and it just said on the box, I forget what the word was, Zach, it was uh, Jebutron, Jebutron, and I'm like, what is Jebutron? And he says, Jebutron. I just said, Jebutron? He opened it up. I opened it up. Is this the dream? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been on this, like, insane roller coaster over the last six months of these kind of things. That, and, and in this box, he said, open it up. I open it up. And uh, he says, Take everything out of that box and put it in that right there. And that right there was a, it looked like a red spreader, you know, a seed spreader. And he says, take everything out of the box, put it in the red spreader. And I look in the box, there's nothing in the box. So I follow the motion of taking it out and putting it in, taking it out and putting in, taking it He said, okay, that's it. Now spread it. What is it that you're going to spread? Freedom. 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 That's the new things of the Lord. He wants you to be set free. It's going to be different now. It's not the old way where you've got all these things attached to you. It's new and it's fresh. For some, I could not get that dream out of my head as I was writing this, especially when I got to this part about humility being able to receive that seed. And, you know, you had likened that, that thing that you couldn't see to the, the freedom, the presence of God, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, and I, I saw you in that room pushing that seed spreader around and the stuff just flying everywhere. And I'm like, but God's careful. God's not reckless about his freedom. He, he knows exactly how much we can handle, right? That's why we're all at different places in our conviction and in our sanctification and our walk because the Lord knows exactly how to administer this. So what seems like this thing of like, this stuff's just flying everywhere. No, he's only looking for hearts that have already been ripped open undergone this process of affliction and humility. Because that's a place he can live. I don't need your house. I need your heart. Contrite of spirit. 
Now, you want to hear something interesting about that word, contrite, is that it's used a total of three times in Scripture. It's translated from a Hebrew uh, word that's used a total of three times in Scripture. And the two other times are in description of Mephibosheth. The only two other times, two out of three, this is the third. The only other two times is about Mephibosheth. And if you don't know that story, you can go look it up later. But Mephibosheth was, was handicapped. He was crippled. He had been dropped as a baby, and his feet were broken. His legs were broken. And he was the last remaining descendant of the lineage of Saul, King Saul. And King Saul's family had been wiped out following his death and this whole switch over of administrations. His family had all been sort of assassinated except for Mephibosheth. And because of David's covenant with Jonathan, he seeks out Mephibosheth and literally has this young man now carried, who'd been in hiding for fear of his life, has him carried to the king's table and says, I'm going to take care of you. I will feed you. I've prepared a table for you right here. Actually, ironically, in the presence of who you thought were your enemies. And so Jackie Santos brought a word to us a couple years ago and said that the move of the Lord that we'd been praying for would only come through the way of Mephibosheth. And when I see this contrite spirit that God's looking for, he is looking for this, uh, this context of Mephibosheth. He is looking for this inability or, or choosing to not do it ourselves. If this is the crazy thing. If Mephibosheth could have run, if he could have walked, he would have run in the opposite direction. Anybody from Saul's lineage would have known, I need to be as far away from this King David and this new thing that's happening as, as humanly possible. But he couldn't. He didn't have the luxury of escape. And that's what God loves. When we don't have the luxury of escape. I mean... I remember being a kid and sitting in services and like, like already having a plan in my mind of how I was going to misbehave as soon as I could escape. You know, I'm like, I'm like conjuring up these like, yes, here's what I'm going to do and here's how I'm going to do it. Here's how I'm going to get away with it. Here's how I'm going to hide it. Here's where I'm going to do it so nobody finds me. And I, I had the whole thing planned out. I was always on to my escape. I always had an escape plan, no matter where it was. And um, does that speak to any brokenness in my life? Maybe, I don't know. But anyway, we'll, I'll save that for another day. We'll save that for a session. <laughs> What's so crazy is what gets God's attention is not when our mind or, or our heart is always looking for a way out or when we're always looking for how do we remain in the shadow somewhere where we can stay in our brokenness. He's looking for hearts that will allow themselves to be carried to a table that we don't deserve and sit at a place where our brokenness is hidden under what he's prepared for us. See, that was the, the, the interesting thing about Mephibosheth in his, in his crippled state, carried to a table. When you're sitting there in a chair around a table, nobody can see what's wrong with your legs. Nobody can see where you've been broken, where you've been wounded. Nobody can see because it's been covered. It's been hidden under what the Lord has prepared and brought you to. That way of Mephibosheth, that contriteness, that constriction of our spirit, restriction of our spirit, 
the denial of ourselves, the unwillingness or, 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 or inability to run, to escape, to hide. When the Lord sees that in us, he'll take somebody who, yes, maybe you're right. Mephibosheth was right to be nervous. He was right to be scared. He may not have even known about the covenant that David had made with Jonathan. Just as there may be folks sitting in this room this morning and and you're totally unaware of what has taken place in the generations before you in the prayers that were prayed by your grandparents and great-grandparents or by the forerunners of the move of God in New England who were praying, driving past this mall, saying one day there's going to be a church in that mall. And we've heard people, people that don't even go to church here, people who who have been driving past this road for decades and saying, God's going to do something with that spot. God's going to do something over there. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done in what was once the old navy, as it is in heaven, in what was once the Victoria's Secret and the Spencer's Gifts and the GNC and the Claire's and the Mr. Tuck's. There's some good stuff happening in the Mr. Tuck's yesterday. That contrite of spirit, it's a dependency to be carried. If he could have walked, like I said, he would have run. And if he could have run, he would have run in the wrong direction. But that constriction of your spirit, it keeps you here. It keeps you coming back. It keeps us at the altar. It keeps us in his presence. It binds us to a table that he set for us in the presence of those who maybe at one time we feared. Maybe there's something about this whole church thing, this whole body, this whole group of people. Maybe there's something about this place that's unsettling to you. Maybe you don't get it. Maybe you feel like you don't belong here. Maybe you feel like there's some brokenness in you somewhere that's been the very thing that's kept you from this place for so long, and yet today, maybe somebody twisted your arm or or drug you out to a car, and so now you're sitting here at a table And I want you to know that that is the very thing God is looking for in you. That thing that feels broken, that thing that feels lost, that thing that feels out of place, that is the raw material that the Father is seeking out to deposit truth into. It comes with a humility, doesn't it? And finally, he says, I'm looking for one who trembles at my word. Now, again, all of these things, they're real easy to talk about in the context of heart posture. Oh, my heart is to be like this. My heart. I did the heart study. It's all about my heart. It's heart, 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 this and that. No, I I just wonder, how are these things manifested and expressed in your life? Don't tell me that your spirit is contrite if in the areas of your life where it tangibly matters, you're running or you're in denial of or you're trying to hide it yourself instead of God hiding it for you. Because when he hides it, it's under righteousness. And when we hide it, it's in the dark. So these relationships that we're in, I loved what Ron came up here and talked about and, and addressed broken homes or, or restarts where we have kids from previous relationships 
married or unmarried or otherwise, we have kids that we've kind of had a tough time with or maybe have just come to terms with the fact that we're not, you know, there's no fruit there, so we're going to go where there is fruit. We're going to start over the new relationship with a new marriage, with a fresh start, one that we can paint white and it feels nice. And Ron called us back and said, the heart of God is still for those places. The heart of God is still in those broken places. Those things that in our flesh we, we resolve to be rid of, but the Lord said, I'm not done with that yet. I want that one at my table too. Take inventory, saints, of your lives. Look back over broken places and say, wait a minute. Is there some way that I was issued the spirit of reconciliation, not just for my own sins and my own state before the Father, but was I given a spirit of reconciliation so that I could then go out and manifest what God's given me into who he's given me? I look to the one who trembles at my word. That word trembles, it, it boils down to this concept of movement caused by reverence. Thank you. Movement caused by reverence. And usually we think of trembling as like, like an uncontrolled like, so, like, like a thing that just happens as a response. We think of trembling and we're like, <laughs> like shaking, yeah. But you know what's interesting about it? It doesn't have to be. I think a lot of times we end up shaking because we refused to move willfully. Trembling is just movement caused by reverence. That movement, even in, even in the breakdown of it, it's coming or going out of reverence. But us, we, we just immediately, we want to immediately translate this. Even as, we're, uh, even as we're bringing the Hebrew into English, we want to gravitate towards the thing that's out of our control because it, it offers us a reprieve from the responsibility and the accountability to actually have to do something. But when God says, I'm looking to the one who trembles at my word, it's not just who's like, curled up in the fetal position because the glory of God is so strong. Will that happen? Yeah, that happens. When we're in his presence and like, you know, we're like whatever, responding to it. But there is a real willful response that he calls us to. One where, where we make a conscious decision to either go to a place or leave a place to engage in a conversation, to make a phone call, to come face to face with a situation or, or a thing, something that, that actually has flesh on it, not just this heart posture thing. And saints, the word of God, this is, this is the thing about the word of God. It should, it should never stop changing your direction. The day it stops changing your direction is the day you start losing. Our victory is found in the presence of God, in the, in the partnership, in the, uh, in the indwelling of God. But he is making it very clear here what he's looking for in terms of a place to dwell. He's looking for humility. 
He's looking for contriteness of spirit. And he's looking for one who responds when his word is sown in. God doesn't need one more person to just turn off the sound of his voice. He doesn't need one more person who's plastered in, in Christian flair, but who, when it really comes down to it, isn't really changing directions based on his word. When his word comes alive in us and it does not bring about change, it does not bring about a, a trajectory shift, it does not bring about conviction, it's not because you've all of a sudden gotten to a place of righteousness where nothing is left to change. Sorry. I wish it was. I wish it was. No. That's, that should be your first indicator that something turned off somewhere. I think we preached a message a while back and there was a, there was a point that said every time the word of God is preached, it should change us. Every time it's spoken, we should tremble. Even Jeremiah teaches us that we need to be able to extract the precious from the vile. And so even in places, in seasons of your lives where maybe there's, there's negative uh, stigmas attached to uh, religious experiences, I believe that the Lord's heart, when he's really invited in, he'll help you extract the precious from the vile because that's who our God is and that's what he's done with us. Would you stand with me? funny because humble, contrite, and trembling in our culture today, it all sounds like victim talk. Those words, they're, they're all in a word bank that we pull from to back up a victim mindset, a victim mentality. And I believe that a huge part of the mess that we're in, governmentally, politically, economically, socially, is because we, we have leaned toward the victim. Not those who actually are victims, but we have leaned toward the identification of a victim for ourselves. And I wanna be really clear on something this morning. The power of this humble, contrite, and trembling state is that we're choosing it. We're choosing it. That's, that's the difference. Uh, I think John did a teaching on what meekness really is. Meekness is, is not weakness. It's strength choosing not to flex. That's true humility. Humility is not just the one who is destitute or without. It's the one who has, but is choosing not to, not to flex it. And across the board, as the Lord seeks to and fro over the face of the earth, praying, hoping, seeking out 
looking for somebody, looking for a heart. It's not just one that's presented before him, checking all the boxes here. He's looking for hearts that are exemplifying all of these things in every other area of our lives. How are we talking about the relationships that we're in? How are we talking about the people we work with? I especially wanna ask my staff that. How are you talking about your supervisor? How are we talking about uh, the, the people that God's brought us into their sphere of influence or them into ours? How are we engaging? Are, 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 we, are we in a constant state of, of condescending in order to make up for some brokenness that's under the table? Have we not, have we not realized that, that our nourishment and our edification, our strengthening is coming from what God's prepared for us, not how we can defend ourselves? See, my heart is that every home in this church, not just every individual, because like I said, from this apostolic perspective, I'm not just looking for people who are incredibly anointed to do ministry. I'm looking at marriages and homes and families that are, that, that are walking in a stewardship of this covenant, who are walking in a faithful commitment to seeing all the values and principles that we have with God expressed and made manifest in all of these other areas of our lives. This isn't about you. It's not about you. Ashley said it a couple times last night as we're going through and everybody's asking this and that about love languages. I'm not being loved in my love language. I think that's somebody that maybe didn't read the book or something. I'm not being loved the way I wanna be loved. It's not about you. The love languages are so you can love more perfectly. So you can love in a way that the one whom you love receives it. And then sit back and watch what happens in the same way that the spiritual truth finds a fertile cultivated soil and where it finds a brokenness, it finds a humility, it finds a, an afflicted in order to deposit itself in the same way as we walk in these things in other areas of our lives, we'll see fruit begin to grow out of anywhere we're humble, anywhere we're contrite, anywhere, any part of us where we say, God, I need to be carried to the table. So Father, I pray that you see in us a people who are quick to move when your word is spoken. We're quick to act on it, not from a place of, wanting to be seen or, a, or wanting to check a box or wanting to get something off our chest, but God, out of really, truly a pure heart posture, but a heart posture that means nothing and is nothing unless there is something tangible connected to it. Lord, your word says that faith without works is dead. And yes, Lord, we've, as the church, historically fallen into that ditch of trying to bring faith alive through works. But God, today we wanna see works come to life because our faith is real.
We want to see relationships come to life because this thing we have with you is real. We want to see brokenness and, and uh, bitterness restored back into life and joy and peace and the fullness of what you have and what you desire to reflect yourself through and in. So Father, find in us real humility. Find in us a spirit that, that like Mephibosheth, will allow ourselves to be carried wherever it is that you want to bring us. God, find us, Lord, not shutting off conviction, not turning down the volume of your voice, but allowing ourselves to be changed, transformed, shaped, sculpted, rerouted, redirected, retrajected, recorrected by the sound of your word. We love you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.